chapter seventeen of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter seventeen thanks to the human heart by which we live she had gone she had shaken the dust of that unfriendly home from off her feet and had gone out into the more unfriendly world penniless without so much as the means to buy a loaf of bread she had left a house that had become intolerable to her after that scene on the terrace those brutal speeches of lashmar's had stung her like scorpions she had not been clever enough rusé enough to understand that such unreasonable anger from such a man was the highest tribute man can pay to woman the tribute of passionate unwarrantable jealousy which implies love as passionate she only felt his scorn his injustice and her dominant thought was to escape from him for ever never to see that dark imperious face again what a face it was she had pictured achilles with just those eyes that dark bent brow those scornful lips those quivering nostrils breathing rage the very incarnation of anger and achilles though she could but think him an unreasonable person was her ideal hero hector with all his virtues had never so deeply moved her while lashmar was talking to verna the fugitive was far upon the road to brum carrying her little bag with a change of linen and half a dozen of her most cherished books homer virgil shakespeare the books made the little bag a heavy burden for so long a distance she shifted it from hand to hand very often and sometimes almost groaned under the weight she was tramping on to brum knowing not how she should act when she got there but brum was the city in which her father had lived and died he had been known there and had been popular among the lower classes somewhere in that great town perhaps she would find some one who remembered the demagogue and who would be kind to his daughter hubert had told her once that her father had been a great orator that but for the violence of his opinions he might have been a great politician it did not occur to her that she would be pursued or hunted for by any one belonging to the castle she fancied herself secure in her insignificance nobody had ever cared for her there after the last lord lashmar's death she had been useful to her ladyship as a reading machine but that was all she had left the castle in a tempest of angry feeling had left without any scheme for her future 
without thought of what she would do with herself when she was outside those doors she had fled as a captive eagle escapes to the wild sky and the trackless mountains like that siberian eagle to which lashmar had compared her but in the long and weary walk to brum upon the lonesome country road under the dark october sky she had ample leisure to consider her future the outlook was not cheerful she had no one in the world who could help her unless she should stoop to appeal to mr nestorius and he was just the one person to whom she felt she could not appeal he had asked her to be his wife had been eager to devote his life to her and she had rejected him she could not ask him to provide for her future her good old friend werner was as helpless as a child she could not burden him nor could she have accepted a home under the shadow of lashmar castle her eager desire was to escape altogether from that old life and its associations to hide herself to lose her identity if it were possible her chief hope for the future was in her pen if nestorius had not been deceived by his regard for her she had written a book which must sooner or later win her fame and money she felt that it was in her to write many such books to write upon many subjects her pen had been her friend and confidant for the last seven years it was as natural to her to write as to live secure therefore of being able to earn money in the future to win for herself that snug little home she had so often discussed with betsy barker she had only to bridge over the difficulties of the present to earn or beg a home and a crust lashmar had told her that but for his mother's charity she would in all probability have been a factory girl even that thought did not appall her she was ready to work in any factory that would find her employment she would have her evenings for her books and her pen life would be harder but not more joyless than it had been at lashmar castle at last the sweet odours of the countryside the perfume of wild flowers the cool freshness of newly ploughed earth gave place to the fumes of furnaces a pervading taint of soot and sulphur the flaring lights of brum shone yellow against the dark blue of night the town was near at hand there were the wildernesses of the suburbs the unbuilt upon building lots the waste places the desolations the fields that were no longer fields the half-finished streets to be passed and then came the goal a shabby street that seemed endless a straggling sordid hopeless-looking street stamped forever as the abiding place of labour and poverty with here a poor little shop and there a bloated blazing public-house with factories looming large and black factory gates shut for the night lamps extinguished labour done and groups of men and women clustered here there weary after the weary day it was not a pleasant place to come to for a soul that loved the country and had dwelt amidst woodlands and the ripple of a river 
here was the same river flowing sluggishly under an old smoke-blackened bridge which stella had to cross on her way to the heart of the town what a murky hideous river it was that stream she had so loved ten miles nearer its source could ten miles make such a difference she had been only four years old at the time of the fire yet she had an instinct that told her in which direction that great block of buildings had stood the big house from which she had looked out of a window high up in the very sky as it had seemed to her then a window that looked straight out at sun or stars she had loved to look out of the window in those long lonely days it had been her only joy when her father was away she had dim memories too which helped her to find the place of her infancy she recalled the prospect she had seen from the window in the sky a little way off across a field or two there had been a place full of white headstones and funeral urns and weeping figures in white marble ghosts they had seemed to her in the twilight she had been scared by those white phantoms sometimes and had left the window shuddering she knew therefore that the huge barrack-like lodging-house had been on the same side of the town as the cemetery and it was towards the cemetery she made her way it was after eleven o'clock and most of the shops had closed by this time but at the corner of a narrow street she found a shop door open and the light shining on the pavement in front of it she looked in timidly and saw two women one elderly and stout the other thin and waspish looking of that doubtful period between eight and twenty and eight and thirty in which unmarried womanhood is apt to turn to shrewishness the shop was of the humblest order known as a general shop furnishing almost everything except butcher's meat and of exceeding usefulness in a poor neighbourhood stella looked from the thin daughter to the stout mother and it was to the latter she addressed her questions there used to be a large lodging-house for working people near the cemetery she faltered it was burnt down a good many years ago was it ever built up again of course it was answered the younger woman sharply if you'd gone twenty yards further you'd have seen it straight before you it was rebuilt and it was made twice the size it was at the beginning was this shop here at the time of the fire yes twenty years before the fire answered the mother my daughter was born in this very house i've lived in it nearly forty years it was a new house when my husband came into it and he had to make the business bit by bit as you have lived here so long perhaps you may remember a man called boldwood said stella tremulously it was the first time she had ever pronounced that name to a stranger it seemed a kind of sacrilege but she felt that her only chance of finding a friend in this great dreary town was through her father's memory boldwood jonathan boldwood yes i should think i do remember him drat him my husband was almost cracked about that man and he used to go to hear him at every meeting and come home with a pack o nonsense in his head i hate your radicals always knocking everything down and never setting anything up radicals have driven all the country gentry away from brum 
and there aren't half the carriages there used to be in the streets when i was a girl radicals have brought in cooperative stores and ruined small tradespeople radicals have sent the english nobility abroad to spend their money because they don't get the respect that's due to them at home what's this old girl off again i never did hear such an old ooman to talk politics and knows no more of em than a baby said a round good-natured voice from within and a round-faced good-natured-looking man in shirt-sleeves and linen apron rolled in from the little parlour behind the shop what sent mother into high strikes to-night he asked his daughter this young person has been asking about jonathan boldwood why what do you know of jonathan boldwood lass he was my father your father what are you the child boldwood tried to get out of the burning house when he lost his own life poor chap in trying to save the little one yes sobbed stella and then the young hunchback lord saved you and took you off to lashmar castle and adopted of you i know there was no end of talk about it at the time yes but he has been dead for many years and i've been very miserable in dependence upon fine people ah there spoke old boldwood no dependence for him he was a free and noble spirit god bless him they say it's only papists that pray for the dead now i'm no papist and i'm no church-goer but i say wherever boldwood is god bless him and so you've got sick o' your fine home lassie and you've come to look up your father's old friends in brum had he friends here many friends yes many friends there wasn't a working man in brum that didn't call him friend but not such friends as could be of much use to him most of em was poorer than himself he was proud too and wouldn't have taken a favour from any of us we all knew that he had been born a gentleman let's have a look at you lass scrutinising her keenly under the glare of the unshaded gas no you're not like him there's a look perhaps only a look of him somewheres in the face but it ain't so much as a likeness poor boldwood yes he was a grand talker he was if he'd been alive now we'd have got him into parliament wouldn't he have astonished the milk and watery gentleman who grind in that mill and what are you doing in brum at such an hour as this my lass i've come to look for work what kind of work any kind that will give me food and shelter time to find the work i can do best what kind of work is that writing i want to be a writer she answered this strange shopkeeper as frankly as she would have answered an old friend the man had known and esteemed her father and there was something in his blunt unpolished friendliness which gave her confidence perhaps in all that big populous town she had crossed the one threshold in which she was safest the grocer's daughter looked somewhat critical and suspicious but his wife had a kindly motherly air which promised help a writer ay boldwood was a writer he used to write letters to the independent such letters they lashed the conservatives like a cat and nine tails and so you can write my last story-books i suppose and such like yes i have written a story but till i can live by my pen i want to get work in a factory 
ah my girl you don't look much like factory work why you look so slight one could blow you away you look too much the lady you'd better have stayed at lashmar castle than turned factory girl i could not stay there they turned you adrift perhaps no but the place became too hateful don't question me please i've done nothing wrong unless it was wrong to come away from a house in which i was miserable come now lass did they ill-treat you beat you starve you no they only made me wretched i suffered patiently enough for many years suffered the want of all kindness and sympathy but the time came when i made up my mind not to suffer any longer that bread and water in a great garret would be better than dainty food in a grand house where nobody loved me i'm quite a stranger and i shall be quite alone in this big town but i shall be able to live my own life to win independence i shall cease to eat the bread of charity i see you have a proud spirit well there's some factory work that's lighter than others though it's all hard i'll see if i can get you work to-morrow if you like it oughtn't to be very difficult for there isn't a rad in brum that wouldn't befriend boldwood's daughter i shall be very grateful to you said stella and then turning to his wife she said if you would be so kind as to tell me where i can get a respectable lodging it must be cheap for i shall have no money except what i can earn a lodging do you mean to say you have no home in brum no only left lashmar castle this evening i walked all the way here i have no money and unless people will trust me with a lodging i must walk about in the fields all night or go to the casual ward at the union jonathan boldwood's daughter shall do neither said the grocer look here mother there's bill's room you give this young woman a shake down in bill's room it's too late for her to be looking for a lodging time enough to think of that to-morrow morning you are very good faltered stella she had been standing until this moment her feet aching after her long walk her arms strained by the weight of the little carpet-bag there was a stool in the shop and now she ventured to seat herself feeling that she was really among friends chapman her new protector shut and bolted the shop-door it was a very small shop crowded with small wares odorous of cheese bacon herrings and even of onions a rope of which hung in a corner in friendly neighbourhood with a pile of quartern loaves pickled jars cheap jam and every variety of tin provisions with brilliant pictorial labels filled the shelves there was an air of rude plenty which hinted at a brisk trade small profits and quick returns by this time even the old maidish daughter had assumed a friendly air come into the parlour and rest yourself she said we've had our bit of supper but perhaps you'd like a crust of bread and cheese of course she would said chapman can't you see how white and tired she looks poor child regular done up bring out the loaf polly and a bit of pickle and a mug of beer not any beer thank you just a little bit of bread and butter if you please the little parlour was neatly kept there was a stand of geraniums in front of the window with a bird-cage hanging over it the room had a curious look to stella after the stately splendours amidst which she had lived but it was more homelike than the still room at lashmer and she liked the chapman's better than the upper and under housemaids with whom she had spent one weary period of her life polly's heart softened her as she sat there in the gaslight looking so pale and faint and helpless so utterly different from the robust young women 
and the obese matrons who patronized mr chapman's shop she looked like some wan white flower that had grown in the depths of a wood remote from the sun polly was a devourer of periodical literature and she began to imagine a romantic history for boldwood's daughter who had come in among them in such a sudden mysterious way the name and history of jonathan boldwood were not unknown to miss chapman she had gone with her father to hear the demagogue at open-air meetings when she was a young girl she had been moved by the enthusiasm of the crowd and had felt that this strong rugged-looking man with the deep sonorous voice was in some wise a hero and had admired him hardly knowing why and now she looked with interest at this girl with the large dark eyes and small pale face which in its delicate fashioning had a deeper charm than mere sensuous beauty she seated herself on the little horsehair sofa beside stella and drew closer to her while mrs chapman was bustling about between the table and the cupboard where the provisions were kept it must have been very nice living at lashmar castle she said devouring stella with her keen inquisitive eyes i saw the place on the outside in the gardens and statues and fountains and things one bank holiday when a lot of us drove that way in a break and teed at the inn in the village what a lovely old house i don't think i should have wanted to run away from such a home as that i don't think you would have been happy in a house where nobody cared for you ah but didn't somebody care for you wasn't there some one who cared too much perhaps some one above you in station a lord perhaps some one you could have loved with all your heart only you durstn't i don't know what you mean answered stella drawing herself up haughtily and beginning to think that miss chapman was even worse than the housemaids the only person i ever loved in that house was the last lord lashmore who died when i was a child ah he was good to you wasn't he i've heard the story many a time just like a novel only it goes to one's heart more but the present lord lashmore hasn't he been kind to you what a fine man he is i've seen him drive his foreign hand through brum such a handsome fellow just what a lord ought to be wasn't he kind like his brother he was the very opposite of his brother in every way please don't talk about him don't tease her polly said the mother cutting a slice of bread and butter don't you see how tired she is poor child and she don't want to be worried now my dear try and eat a bit of supper while i go up and get your room ready it's clean anyhow that i'll answer for the little bedroom on the half-flight which had been the son's room son now away on a big engineering job in the mediterranean was as clean as soap and water and unstinted labour could make it stella lay down to rest in the narrow bed so utterly weary that she felt like a child in its mother's lap helpless careless almost of all things except that sweet sense of rest unanxious as to what the morrow might bring forth leaving all to providence which had been so kind to her to-night the room was very small it seemed to stella like a box the sides of which were close enough for her to touch with her outspread hands but it was a friendly shelter and she was too tired to wonder at being in a strange place she slept deliciously till seven when she was awakened by much movement in the house she got up and dressed herself and went downstairs where she found the chapman family breakfasting in a snug little kitchen with whitewashed walls and a dresser rich in cheap crockery stella was welcomed to the breakfast-table and introduced to the family cat which was a personage of distinction in the household 
and which took kindly to the stranger they know their friends said the good-natured chapman i've seen that cat swell out his tail as thick as a german sausage at the sight of a stranger and spit and snarl he do as bad as a rattlesnake don't you tom tom rubbed himself against his patron's legs in acknowledgment of this idiosyncrasy he was black and big and sleek and had white stockings of miraculous purity considering that he spent most of his life under the grate do you know miss boldwood began the grocer in a hearty tone me and my missus and polly here have just had our little mag about you and we've come to the conclusion that there ain't no use in your worriting about factory work it ain't in your line and you wouldn't do no good at it what is there now as you could do there's pens and there's pins and there's lucifers fancy them pretty little fingers toiling at lucifers you wouldn't be half as clever at it as the brum girls who've done it from their cradles you'd find you wasn't in it as the saying is and you'd feel humiliated and downhearted i must bear that said stella firmly i have to earn my bread somehow somehow yes that's where it is you ain't bound to earn your bread in a factory if you feel it's in you to write pretty stories and make your name as a writer why not begin at it stella sighed and shook her head i've read over and over again of the difficulty of beginning such a life she said it is almost impossible to earn a living at the first there must be years wasted a long apprenticeship to labour disappointment and dependence now i have no one to help me i must earn my bread while i am trying to write something that may bring me money later ah but you can't do that while you're earning your bread in a factory my lass said chapman don't dream of such a thing it ain't to be done a factory will take it out of you there'll be nothing left in you for inventing pretty stories now if you could get a bit of copying to do it'd be different there is a common idea that money may always be made by copying or translating people have the vaguest notion of what there is to be translated or copied no one asks himself or herself why this perennial flow of french novels or legal documents whence they come and whither they go but the idea prevails that the woman who can put french into english or copy a manuscript in a fair round hand may always find genteel employment yes i could do copying or translating answered stella i know two or three languages french german italian latin and greek lord a mercy on us one language helps another when one is fond of languages said stella modestly lord lashmar taught me the beginning and when he was gone i taught myself my books were my only friends why you ought to be able to make a fortune and you have written stories asked polly deeply interested regular novels not so long as ordinary novels stories about as long as one volume of a novel they are very foolish i dare say but it was a kind of happiness to me to write them they took me out of my own life yes i can understand that said polly they lifted you up into a different world where all things were beautiful i have felt that often when i have been reading sitting here in this little kitchen i have fancied myself in some lovely drawing-room where the curtains were all velvet and lace and where the ladies threw out a cloud of perfume as they glided about and where there was the sound of a fountain from the conservatory in palms i do so love palms i never saw one but the very look of the word is lovely and then when i look up and see this old kitchen of ours and the dutch clock and the warming-pan there also common and homely i feel as if i had wakened out of a delicious dream yes and that's how you neglect the housework 
or let any one stand in the shop till they are tired of waiting to be served said the practical mrs chapman i do think as how novel reading is the bane of a young woman's life there's times for everythink and novel reading ain't no harm at the proper time said the more liberal husband of an evening when the day's work is pretty well over i'd rather see my daughter with her nose in a novel than hear her wag her tongue about her neighbours and talk of things which she didn't ought even to know about much less talk of a novel safer reading for a respectable young female than a newspaper any day have you your stories with you asked polly stella blushed at the question yes i brought all my papers with me in that little carpet bag would you mind letting me read one i'm not much of a judge but i've read a good many novels that i've got from the free library pleaded polly if you would like to read one i should of all things and father don't you think jem barsby might help miss boldwood in some way he's a clever young man and they think a lot of him at the office jem barsby was a hanger-on or admirer of polly's who was not actually engaged to her had not been promoted to the proposition of keeping company but who was allowed to walk out with her occasionally as a worthy young man who knew his place and might be trusted which confidence seeing that polly was seven years his senior was not undeserved jem was a printer's reader and factotum at the office of the independent and ranked as a literary man among the chapmans and their circle now it seemed to polly that jem's influence ought to smooth the path of literature for any beginner do let me have a read of one of your stories entreated polly i tell you what it is miss boldwood you'd better stay with us for a week or two while you look about you said honest chapman jonathan boldwood's daughter shall never want for a home while i've a roof over my head we're homely people mother and me but polly there has cultivated her mind a bit and she'll be company for you stay with us as long as you like my dear mrs chapman added a kindly word of her own to confirm the invitation and polly put her arm round stella's neck and kissed her i don't often take to any one but i have took to you she said and i think it's because you've got a mind i worship mind stella's eyes filled with sudden tears you are all so good to me she faltered and i value your kindness all the more because it is given for my father's sake my dear father whose face i can hardly remember to yesterday i used to hope and dream about seeing him again that he would come back to me from the other side of the world and yesterday i was told how he died in the attempt to save me she burst into a passionate fit of sobbing and it was some minutes before she could tranquillize herself even with the aid of polly's comforting hugs yes i will stay with you if i may kindest friends she said i shall be happier more at peace here than i can be anywhere else more at peace yes it is it was peace she sighed for at the castle she had not been at peace there had been a passionate revolt for ever going on in her soul a revolt against that servitude which she bore so meekly a sense of wounded pride which a princess of the blood royal might have felt and she had never suffered that agony of inward shame so acutely as when victorian was at the castle 
his very presence under that roof moved her to rebellion so the friendly compact between the demagogue's daughter and that honest and somewhat mild radical mr chapman was sealed stella was to occupy the little room on the half-light as long as she liked and was to have as many little stone bottles of ink out of the shop and as many of those steel nibs which mr chapman bought at sevenpence a gross and retailed at four a penny as ever she chose to consume she was to be free from the burden of sordid daily cares and might scribble away to her heart's content filling the little room with spirits as vast and wonderful as the afrit that came out of the fisherman's bottle polly spent the whole day devouring a manuscript story and wholly absorbed in the fiction and even offering the writer the tribute of an occasional tear jem barsby dropped in at tea-time not the elegant five o'clock tea of polite life but a solid seven o'clock meal which marked the close of the day's labour and served at once for tea and supper at this autumnal season sausages were supposed to be in their prime and bloaters still meritorious very savoury was the board which mrs chapman spread in her cosy little kitchen where the family meals were usually eaten with one ceremonious exception made in favour of sunday tea which was always served in the parlour jem listened intently to the account of miss boldwood's literary proclivities and to polly's glowing description of the story she had just been reading we ought to be able to find something for you to do at our place said jem grandly with the air of a sub-editor at the very least do you think you could manage a london letter lord jem why she's never been in london in her life ah sighed mr barsby that's against it ain't it or else if she had a nice smart way of putting any little bit of news or scandal she could pick up i might get our folks to start a lounger at the clubs don't you see the chapman saw the possibility of this had stella been altogether a different person or if she'd been thoroughly up to trap about the theatres now half a column of green-room gossip three times a week would go down like butterscotch with our subscribers but my dear jim remonstrated polly vexed at her admirer's obtuseness miss boldwood is a novelist a born novelist she has written the loveliest story i've read for ever so long ah but that's a big line i don't see a chance for her with that game why our proprietors give their thousands and fifteen hundreds down for a fullerton and they want big names if she were only to make a success now they'd have her to-morrow perhaps if she was to knock off a little story for the christmas number i might get our chief to look at it and if he were to like it and could find room for it there'd be a five-pound note in miss boldwood's pocket and it would be getting in the thin end of that wedge into the bargain i'll try said stella it is very kind of you to interest yourself for me End of chapter seventeen